And once again, I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. You know, I, I don't know about you and what you've done with your children or what you did with your father. Or, but, you know, my dad used to take us fishing. We used to help my dad in the yard. We did different things. And my dad also taught us football, especially football. He got us into baseball, but especially football. You know, we did a lot of things together. I, I heard that you, you, you raise a son or... I think I, it related to sons, but maybe daughters too. But this guy said, you raise a son like you raise a good hunting dog. Now, I don't hunt, so Dick Lotz and Chuck Bancroft can comment on this one. And you got a good hunting dog, you go out in the truck and you get the dog to go with you. You tell the dog to get up in the truck and you take that dog everywhere you go. And that becomes a good hunting dog. And the person said, you raise a son the same way. And I was like that, you know, with my dad. I would follow him around just about everywhere. I used to follow him with a little plastic mower as he cut grass and did things with him. But, you know, he taught us football. He taught my... I got a football up here. So I'll throw it at somebody if they start falling asleep. Um, it's my excuse to keep you awake because, you know, my sermons aren't boring. Um, I'm just kidding. But, uh, well, we'll see if I'm kidding. You know, but I grew up a sports fan. I love sports. I, I love football, especially. I, I liked a little bit of baseball, and later on I'd play uh, basketball on the street, but I was a little short for that. I don't know if you can tell, but I really love football, and I grew up liking the Browns. Don't hold that against me, but I really liked the Browns. My brothers and I, we loved the Browns. My grandfather on my dad's side was from Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and so he liked the Steelers for some reason, but he died when I was about four years old, and somehow my dad ended up a Browns fan. And we were always just glued to the TV when they were on. We would record the, the Browns games and watch them later. We would listen to them on the radio when they weren't on TV. And they were kind of decent in that day and age. They were kind of okay. And, you know, we looked forward to the Browns games. We really enjoyed watching football. I remember the AFC Championship game, and... They were in, I think, overtime. I, I want, it might have been just one overtime session, but they were in overtime. And my brother was a little older than I was. I think I was like in first grade at that point or something like that. But it didn't look too good for the Browns. So we got all of our Browns stuff, all of our Browns paraphernalia. And we put it in front of the TV, hoping the Browns would pull it off. And you know the answer. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't win, you know. But at least they got there, you know. And so the game ended and my brother was just in tears, you know, crying because the Browns lost. You know, the Browns let me down too many times. And so I turned on them. There's a true story. It's a true story. There's a guy had it had in his will that he wanted Browns players to serve as his pallbearers so they could let him down one more time. <laughs> it's a true story. It, so a few years ago, I switched to Steelers and became a Steelers fan, and I still like football. I still like football. There's something about the way it feels and out there playing football. But, you know, it's different being a fan than being a player, right? I mean, there's an obvious difference between being a football or baseball or basketball fan than being a player. I mean, we get enjoyment sometimes out of watching other people play a game. It's kind, of, it's kind of weird when you think about it. And this sermon is not against, I'm not really going there, but it is interesting because if, you're, if you really play the game, 
Like, I played football in sixth grade, and our quarterback broke his arm. I mean, he was really committed. If you just sit in the stands and watch, you're just a fan. You're not that committed. Those players, they break their arms. The next year, that same quarterback broke his collarbone. Bernie Kosar separated his shoulder when I used to be a Browns fan. That, that's different. If you're a player on a team, you might wake up sore the next day. You might wake up black and blue the next day. You may not walk normal the next day. You are committed. The fans, you know, when the Browns lost, it didn't really affect me physically. Emotional, yes, it shouldn't have, but it did. But the next day, life went on for me. You don't get injured being a fan unless you're doing something totally stupid. You know, you should not get injured being a fan. It doesn't happen. You get injured being a player. And when it comes to sports, until about seven years ago, I was mainly a fan of all sports. And then I took up running. It started with the idea of just weight loss. And then it ended up with this goal to run a marathon. And, and I, I've talked about that before. That was the first time, besides sixth grade football, that was the first time I really began to understand what it's like to be more of a, uh, of a, of a participant, of a player. That's when I had to commit to a, a rigorous running schedule, running 50 to 60 miles a week, uphills in the wind, you know, uphills both ways. It seems like everywhere you go around here, it's uphill if you're a runner. You go down to Dayton, it's all flat. You know, that's when I started waking up in the middle of the night with Charlie horses. That's when after I ran 20 miles one day and I had had enough. And so I called Megan and she said, where are you at? And I said, home or throat. And she came and picked me up. And, and I got home and I was trying to do some stretches, whatever that stretch is where you reach down and touch your toes. I, I usually can't do it anyways. But I was trying to stretch and I got a Charlie horse in my side. You know, when you're a participant, you take a beating. But when you're a fan, not so much. The point is this. As Christians, Jesus does not call us to be fans. He calls us to be participants. Jesus calls us to be players on the field. Jesus calls us not to watch other people be Christians. He calls us to be Christians ourselves. He calls you, you you're, if, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've committed your life to him and, and you're trusting him as Lord and Savior, you're not just a fan of Christ. You're called to be a follower of Jesus. He calls for deep commitment to Jesus. You know, we can have the joy of leading others to Christ. Just as a player has the joy of a touchdown. And I hope... If you have the opportunity to lead another person to salvation in Jesus Christ, it is a much, much, much greater joy than scoring a touchdown in a football game. We can have the joy of serving others on a mission trip or at a food pantry. Just as a football player has a joy of an interception, actually, we can actually intercept what the devil is trying to do because Jesus calls us to be players, to be followers of him, to be committed to him. We can have the joy of discipling someone just as a runner has the joy of completing miles. And let me tell you, it is a joy watching someone become a disciple of Jesus Christ, being able to teach them the Bible and teach them the spiritual disciplines and pray with someone and disciple people. That is a great joy. But also we must sacrifice. So 
are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? Are you on the sidelines cheering on other Christians, or are you out there serving God? And let me say, you know, God does not need you. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need any one of us. He chooses to use us, and he, he loves us, and he gives us spiritual gifts and natural talents, and he wants to use us. God can do anything he wants on his own. Are you all in with Jesus? Many times our relationship with Jesus becomes more about self-help than about being a follower of Jesus. But Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And he calls us to do that every day. And today on Father's Day, let me say it is critical that dads do this. That dads model being a follower of Jesus Christ. Because if you're just a fan... Your children will see right through it. And they have seen right through it. That's why churches are empty of the younger generation. Jesus calls us to be self-sacrificial, committed followers of Jesus, of him. You know, I talked about my father and the things we do following him. But we did not follow him to church. Because at that point, he was not a follower of Jesus. It was mom that wanted to go to church. And too often that is the case. So I'm in a sermon series about scriptures to pray for our children, our grandchildren, Bible passages, scripture passages to pray for our descendants. It's a, a praying scripture series. What better th thing can we pray than praying the Bible? What better to pray than the word of God, which is the inspired uh, words of God? So today I want to talk about praying that our descendants are followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus. And my theme and application is this. Be a follower of Jesus and model this for your children. Be a follower of Jesus and model this for your children. And I have several scripture passages, but I'm mainly going to talk about Luke 9.23. Uh, but you could also see 1 Corinthians 9.19-27. 9, Galatians 2.20 where Paul says, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son who died and gave himself as a ransom for me. But we're, we're mainly going to look at Luke 9.23 today. And by the way, there's a book written maybe eight years ago or so called Not a Fan. And it's by Kyle Eidelman. And you can, you can get into that book and dive deeper into this topic. But I would invite you to turn to Luke 9.23 while I read that. Luke 9.23 while I read that. And you can stay there, because I'm going to park on this passage. Jesus said the words in this passage multiple times. And while you turn to Luke 9.23, you know, let me say, uh, uh, dads out there, we need to step up. We need to step up as spiritual leaders in the home. We need to step up as leaders in the home. we got to quit expecting our wives to do that. Praise God for godly women. Because many, many times the wives step up when the husbands won't. It's not my goal to, you know, throw a, throw a rebuke at you today. But let me say, if I don't, who will? Once somebody said I was too preachy. That was not here. Nobody would ever say that here. But... But if your pastor doesn't say it, who will? What do you expect? You know, I'm supposed to look at truth and give you the truth. And I'm accountable to God to give the truth to you. 
And right now, the truth is, first of all, the Word of God calls us as dads to step up our game and be spiritual leaders in the home. And and America is hurting for dads who do not step up. And we can, and I want to help you. Talk to me, call me, email me, text me. I make all my information available. You can even have my social security. No, don't have. But, you know, I give out my phone number for the most part. I would love to meet with you and give you resources to be a disciple and be a follower of Jesus and model that for your children and model that for your grandchildren. John Reiser, when he was here yesterday, said, uh, it's kind of an old stat, but I bet it's still true, that if... The why, if the mother is following the Lord and, and, and a disciple of Jesus, it's kind of 50-50 or so that the children will follow. But if the father is following Jesus and committed to the Lord, something like 90% likelihood the children will follow. We've got to step it up. We have to be spiritual leaders. We have to read the Bible with our children. We have to study the Word of God with our family. You know, these are scriptures I've been convicted to pray uh, for my children, and, you know, and, and part of my prayer is that we do spiritual disciplines individually, but also as a family. That we're memorizing the Word of God as a family. That we go to church as a family. And when we skip out on these things because we want to go fishing or hunting, it might show what we truly worship. Luke 9, 23, Jesus was saying, And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is an extremely challenging passage. In fact, Kyle Eiderman shares in his book that when he preached about this to his church, very, very large church, Southeast Christian, Louisville, Kentucky, something like 10,000 people going there, and he apologized to them and said, I've allowed you to be fans of Christ and not followers. And we've done that in America. We've made it about fans, not followers. Let's talk about the context. Jesus is on a preaching tour. He's been going from place to place preaching. Actually, just before this passage, Jesus had fed 5,000 people. 5,000 people he fed them with a small boy's lunch. Poor boy, we don't even know his name. Anyways, and then in this same chapter, Jesus had cast demons out of a man and out of a woman. And notice, and, and, and by the way, Jesus had sent the disciples out to heal people and cast out demons as well. He had sent the disciples out. Now understand this, right here, the disciples are followers, they're followers of Jesus, they're not fans. Jesus lets the disciples participate. He wants the disciples to participate. He sends them on a mission. The disciples are followers of Jesus, they're not fans. They're following Jesus, Jesus allowed them to participate, and later on, every one of the disciples, every one of the disciples will die a martyr's death. John being the oldest. They were followers. They were not fans. Jesus transformed the world with 12 disciples, not 12,000. And he called them to commit. So Jesus had just uh, asked them who people think he is. And they answer. And after that, Jesus asked Peter. Well, no, after that, Jesus said, who do you think that I am? Jesus asked them, who do you think that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter gave this great statement of faith. Following this, Jesus talks about suffering. And Jesus says that he will have to suffer and be betrayed. And then Jesus says to them all, 
And it appears that there are more people there. Jesus is traveling around. He could have the disciples in front, and there could be a big crowd around. It's sometimes hard to say. And Jesus says to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his or her cross daily and follow me. Don't miss that word daily. But also don't miss the word if anyone. If anyone. The gospel is open to everyone. Jesus A Jewish man says, if anyone wants to come after me, anyone, Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Revelation 7, 9 through 11, same idea. John sees a bunch of people in heaven, too many to count, and they were from many different tribes and cultures and people groups. Heaven will be multicultural. And Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, He's got to deny himself. Let's talk about that. Deny. What does it mean to deny yourself? I think of Galatians 2.20. Paul saying, I'm crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself as a ransom for me. This idea of deny carries the idea of saying, Steve, who is he? Now, don't, don't get me wrong. As Christians, um, we don't have to earn our salvation. Jesus gives us a free gift of salvation, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We are freely saved by grace. But he does call us, he does call us to commit. He does call us to be followers of him. He calls us to deny ourselves. By the way, before I forget, how do we do this? We can't. We only do this by letting the Holy Spirit live within us. We only do this through the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. We need the Bible and the church. We need the church. All three work together quite powerfully. Some of us want to live the the Christian life with the Holy Spirit and with the Bible, the Holy Word, but without the church. doesn't work that way. We need the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and we need the church. And we need a church, and we need a stronger commitment with the church than, which we, than, with, uh, than what we've had in the past. Death. Jesus calls us to die to ourselves. He says that we must carry our cross. The cross was an instrument of death. John MacArthur shares the following. He says, more than a hundred years before Jesus ever walked on earth, King Alexander Janius crucified 800 rebels at Jerusalem, while he was feasting in public. Antiochus Epiphanes, that Greek ruler during the intertestamental period, had also crucified many Jews for a revolt that followed the death of Herod the Great. The proconsul Varius crucified 2,000, 2,000 Jews. It is said that the Romans crucified 30,000, 30,000 Jews in Palestine during the era around the life of Jesus. When Jesus said, take up a cross, they only thought of one thing. Horrible suffering, pain, and death. Jesus is saying, this is how extreme your devotion has to be. This is willingness to endure persecution. This is willingness to endure hatred, hostility, rejection, reproach, shame, suffering, even death. They knew exactly what he was talking about and be ready to do it every day.
every day. That's what Jesus calls us to do as disciples. You know that in Muslim countries, Muslim extremist countries, once somebody somebody commits to Jesus as Lord and Savior, their family will deny them. Many times even kill them. I know one such incident where when she accepted Christ as Savior, she was not denied at that point. But when she was baptized, it became official. She no longer existed. This is not an obscure passage. You can read about it in Matthew 10, 32 through 39, Mark 10, 21, with the rich young ruler, Luke 14, 25 through 28, Luke 17, 33, John 12, 24. Jesus repeatedly told people he asked for commitment when we follow him. So we're called to be devoted, we're called to be followers, and fathers, be devoted to your family. It is your first mission field. Our family as dads, you could say the same thing to moms, but today's Father's Day, so we'll address dads, is our first mission field. Jesus calls us to be present with him as we follow him. And following Jesus is not is not separate from your life and family commitments, but one and the same. Too often, I think, we think there's a dichotomy. This is my spiritual life. This is my work life. This is my spiritual life. This is my family life. They're all meshed together like a cobweb. And Jesus must, he must impact every part of our being. And he wants us to be the most committed dads. And he wants us to be there for our children. He doesn't want us to give them up. That is our first mission field. You know, we, we sometimes today, we, we view the past through our eyes today. And so sometimes we think the stay-at-home mom is the best thing. And, I, and I'm all for the stay-at-home mom. But historically, it wasn't just a stay-at-home mom. It was a stay-at-home family. The stay-at-home mom is a more recent thing. It, in the 1950s, we look back to maybe the 50s because that was before I was born. And so, if you couldn't tell. So, in the 1950s, we think of stay-at-home mom, dad goes to work, dad comes home, you all eat dinner together. But historically, that's, that's, that was not the case. Historically, people were farmers and it was a stay-at-home family. You had breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. You work together on the farm. You know, I read something um, this writer shares. In 1820, the earliest date for which I can find reliable statistics, some 2.1 million, 2.1 million men in the United States worked in farm occupations, a full 72% of the workforce. It was a stay-at-home family. Now, and I'm not saying that to criticize anybody. You know, we all have our different jobs. Some people have to travel a lot. Some people are, you know, in the military and praise God for their service. Some people have to travel for work. Some people have long hours at the office. My only point is we've got to make time for our family. We've got to be committed to our family. You know, it used to be that in mission, in, on the mission field, missionaries would send their kids to missionary boarding schools. So they would drop off their kids in London and then go to Africa. I had a professor of missions. He served in Nepal for 10 years. He would not go with a certain group because that's what they required. And I struggle with that. Uh, David Jeremiah. I struggle with that because I feel like you're leaving your first mission field to go serve somewhere else. I'll just leave it at that. David Jeremiah shares a story. He was um, going out to go to his son's basketball game. He's leaving the church office. David Jeremiah, pastor, writer, 
many of you have listened to him on Christian radio. He's leaving the church office to go to his son's basketball game. And during that time, a man came in and said to the secretary, I need to talk to David Jeremiah. And the secretary said, he's not available right now. Can I connect you with one of the other uh, pastors? The guy was persistent. I need to talk to David Jeremiah. The secretary was persistent back. He's not available right now. Meantime, David Jeremiah is walking out in the parking lot, and the man catches David Jeremiah in the parking lot, and the man said, I need to talk to you. David Jeremiah said, I got to go. I'm leaving to my son's basketball game. The, the man said, I have to talk to you. I have to talk to you. David Jeremiah said, you know, right now there's a number of other pastors in that office who can connect with you, who can talk with you. I have one son, and he has one dad, and I need to be at his basketball game. You know, praise God for that example of being at his son's basketball game. Christians must be the best dads. We must be the most committed. Being a follower of Jesus impacts all of our life. And so I encourage everyone to take time for your family. Dr. Howard Hendricks had one wag tell him, The devil never takes a holiday, so why should I? Howard Hendricks didn't miss a beat and replied, Oh, really? I didn't know he was your model. You know, we're called to take time. And we all have different jobs. You know, some of us have what I call block schedules, where we have to work a certain amount of hours uh, during the day, and then we can come home and we're home. Some of us are business owners, and, and, and maybe we are insurance or salesmen or something, and we have 24-7 jobs, and the work is never done. And we all have to work out time management to make time for our family, and to make time to be spiritual leaders in the family, and to be followers of Jesus. We have a responsibility to be dads, and that is part of our God-given calling. Don't think of it as interrupting our work. I have concerns that sometimes we think of it as interrupting our work. Christians need to follow Jesus, and this must impact our calling as fathers. I remember one day I came home from school, and it was 3.45, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. My dad, who was in sales and still is, and was never home at that time, I was walking up the, drive, the um, street, and I saw him hitching up our little boat to go fishing. This one day, I'll never forget, he came home early to take us fishing. Never forget it. So impacting. You know, the first step of being a follower of Jesus is committing to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so I want to ask, have you made that commitment? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior? And are you living for him? 2 Corinthians 13.5 says to examine yourself and make sure you are in the faith. Where are you at? Are you a fan? Are you a follower? I pray that you are followers. I pray that you pray that you are followers. I pray that you will pray that your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will be followers of Jesus, committed to him. The Bible teaches us that God created us to be with him, to be in a relationship with him, but our sins, they separate us from God. And sins cannot be removed by good works. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again, and everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. A life that's eternal means we will be with Jesus forever. Have you surrendered to Jesus? 
If you're sitting there right now and you haven't, today is the day of salvation. Commit to him today. If you're sitting there right now and you thought, I've always been a fan. I've been on the sidelines. I've been cheering other Christians on and I have not been living for Jesus. I encourage you, today is a day. Don't wait. Today is a day to turn that around. Repent. Tell that to God. And ask him for help following him, being committed to him. We never know how long we have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do need your help. We need your help. We need your support following you. We cannot do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us be willing to give up all for you. Lord Jesus, we need your help being God-honoring dads, being dads who are present for their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and families. We need your help being spiritual leaders in the home. We ask for that. Lord God, if there's some in here who have not surrendered their life to you, committed to you, believed in you, confess your sinners in need of a Savior, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day where we say something like this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I've sinned and I've missed your perfect standard. I recognize my sin separates from me, me from you. I'm committing my life to you. I'm trusting in you as Lord and Savior. I believe, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by you. Jesus, help us to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.